0: Welcome to Pipeline Conversations, a machine learning podcast by ZenML. So this is a bit of an unusual episode out of the usual order of things. This is a conversation between myself, Adam and Hamza, where we just reflect over the past six or seven months. I thought it might be uh, a good moment uh, now that we've got 10 episodes in the bag with the podcast so far and just to reflect on what we've achieved with XenML and so on and where we're going uh, a little bit as well. So I hope you enjoy it. Welcome Adam and Hamza for um, our 10th episode. It's great that we reached this point in, in our podcast. And uh, of course, you know, a lot has happened in the last six or seven months. I remember when I first joined the things that XenML allowed you to do were Relatively basic, certainly compared to to what we have now, and it's been amazing for me to watch. I'm kind of curious, like how it's been for for you both. Tell us a little bit about how how you've experienced things.
1: All right, thanks, Alex, for having us back. Uh, it really feels uh, awesome that we have so many episodes out now. Um, it feels great. I think that uh, like we've reached a lot of uh, milestones since we last spoke. We we were really at the beginning of the journey, the beginning of the podcast, the beginning of everything. Uh, back then, six, seven months ago. And it's been awesome to see the team grow. It's been awesome to see the community grow. And it's just, it feels amazing that every day we come in and there are like a hundred things to do and all of them are exciting. So I think that like the morale is up. Everybody is bought into the vision and everybody knows, uh, like where to pull together. And that isn't something I would have. I would have only hoped that would happen in six to seven months uh, when we first spoke.
0: Adam, have there been any kind of surprising lessons or, or just things you hadn't anticipated like having to figure out along the way as part of, I guess, the business part of the story? Sure.
2: Um, yes. Also from my side, thanks for for the invitation, Alex. And thank you for the 10th podcast. Really, really happy and, and proud with what you achieved there so far and with, with all the amazing guests. Uh, yes. So what are the surprises? Yeah. Um, well, uh, there are not many surprises, but uh, there's always the saying: if you have under thing, everything under control, you're moving uh, too slowly. So this is this is why, um, as Hamza said, the 100 things which we have to do every day uh, are exciting. Um, some some are a bit boring um, and annoying, like um, which which have just have to come uh, with running and growing a company. What, what was surprising for me, though, was the, the, the team dynamics, like um, people people are uh, forming their own areas of responsibilities, have their own babies now in the company, uh, driving things forward. And this is something you cannot really control. You just can enable. And, and this is just so cool to see how, how, how people are motivated by these things um, and, and, and are really completely independent, no micromanagement at all developing um and enjoying and really having fun and this is i could not have it wished better to be honest and that was positively surprising um for me for me on in a journey in the last like six months or something since we grow the team to 10 people
1: i would also agree i mean if, if i look at the team makeup right now it looks like to me that if i was asked okay how does would your team look like in six months. I would never have imagined even something close to how we are. I mean, the background and diversity we have in the team in terms of skills and just opinions, everybody sort of brings their own superpower to it. So super proud of that we were able to just convince people like yourself to join us on this journey.
0: Maybe it's worth just taking for for those who are either joining us or people who've been with us for the journey since the beginning, just taking a little a step back and kind of just thinking about what we've achieved, both in terms of the company, technically, in terms of the product.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, first of all, like maybe maybe
2: um, HR wise, so we grew now to to ten amazing engineers. So we are we don't have any business people in the team. So we are really building for the community. And um, what's really nice to see is that we—it's—it's um, it's starting to lift off in in our communities wherever you look, like in on whether it's on Slack, whether it's contributions on GitHub, or um, visitors on the website, which is, was uh, surprising for me that people are still checking out the website before they go to the docs or to to GitHub. So um, this is this is something from from the community aspect, which is uh,
0: really cool. The development but sure we are just um just at the start we've started having our own uh, community hours as well and engagement like active live engagement with people as well that's been really nice to to, to see
2: mm-hmm. yes definitely so um that's also what we are what we're planning to do um a bit more uh, interaction with the with the community and we are also having uh a rehaul of the website for example because we want to convert more people from just reading to contributing or to, discuss, to discussing on Slack so um, yes this is really developing and, and the community is really first
1: so I mean I can maybe pop in and discuss the technical aspect as you as you said rightly uh, I mean one aspect was the community but then the community has to have a product to use and I think that The community has already helped us tremendously. We've talked to so many people, as you said, in the community hour or just on Slack and just meeting them and chatting with them on their needs. So as you might remember from six, seven months ago, we only had basically steps and pipelines, right? So you could have a step, you could create a pipeline, it could run, um, which I don't think was world changing at this point, but for us it was, to be honest, even back then, because it was something that we had rewritten completely from scratch. So if I zoom back, uh, the first, you know, three, four months of the company was all about the rewrite and giving us a base to build. When we last spoke, that's where we were. And I think one fundamental thing that changed after that is that we introduced this notion of stacks, mlops stacks, which is basically decoupling the infrastructure configuration and how the, Infrastructure communicates to each other on the MLOps landscape from the code base, which was, I believe, a fundamental change in how we thought about the problem. Because obviously, the biggest problem for data scientists is that it's not approachable. You know, infrastructure problems are not approachable, and nor do they care about them. But they still want to use infrastructure-based tools. So by decoupling that, we made it easy to transport people from a local stack, you know, just from a state where they're in a Jupyter notebook to maybe a current modern state-of-the-art MLOps infrastructure with Qflow pipelines and a feature store like Feast and experiment tracking like Weights and Biases, training on Hugging Face, deploying on MLflow or Selden and so on and so forth. And we, we have developed relationships with these tools. And that has also been fantastic how bringing all these tools together has had so much resonance from them and other people in their communities. And I've given a lot of demos since then, and it feels like I'm giving one every week and I always feel like every time I give a demo now, uh, people really feel that magic of switching from really local and then like getting into a modern stack, as I said, and their feedback is always, they're really amazed and want to try it and that feeling, what we want to give to the developers is exactly what I would have hoped for six months ago. And I think that we're only at the beginning of that.
0: Do you feel you've learned anything about, I mean, we're, we're a lot more, um, we're pretty immersed on a day-to-day level in this MLOps space and how the tools, different tools work together and which ones are more appropriate in certain situations. Like, how is your understanding of what MLOps means changed uh, over this time period as well?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean... I have understood one thing that everybody sort of has a different set of requirements. I mean, I think I knew that more before, but it's getting more evident, right? We're building we're building an use case and industry agnostic tool, so we talk to many industries, and everybody has a different requirement of stack. And you know, you, sometimes you need a big board, sometimes you need a small board, and it's just you know, sometimes you just want to spin up a big VM. Or a serverless function and just orchestrate it because that's what your quarter is looking like, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't need a Kubernetes cluster scaling up to thousands of nodes. But on the other hand, if you're if you're in a, in an autonomous driving company and you're serving 200s of models um, out there every day retraining them, then you might want to need those tools, right? So my understanding of this has developed in the sense that. I believe that MLOps will, like there will be some standards forming, but I believe a winner in this space, I mean, not just us, but every other tool has to be open and flexible for those requirements. Um, So if anything, I've doubled down on the open source, flexible nature of things, uh, and I believe that's here to stay. So yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing that I've learned talking to so many teams.
0: Yeah, and that's been really interesting to observe from my perspective, being relatively new in this field as well, like the interaction with some tools which aren't open source, but now there's kind of really burgeoning community of filling in all of the different gaps of your MLOps stack, um, where you can just live in open source, you don't need something proprietary,
1: really. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, a lot of people say that there's something almost contradictory in saying that, you know, you're running an open source business um how how how's your understanding of that developed also the idea of you know we're building this in public we're we're pretty open about all sorts of things which you don't really see in many other companies um how how yeah how, how do you think about that now and and um how do you see that
2: That's a very interesting question so um we open sourced um like more than a year ago and um back then it was for me not super evident i was coming from the industry from the old economy i would say so hamza was pushing hard to do it open source for me it, it, I, I was not so visionary that this could be the next big thing after SaaS. Um, so right now i can't tell you I, I i i can't be happier with that decision because um what we are doing and this is this is like our dna we are solving problems and if we are solving problems, there will be some people who are also happy to pay for the solution. And and the, the, the mind shift was for me that not if a hundred people are using the tool, not a hundred people have to pay for the tool. It, it's enough if, if just one individual of this these 100 is paying for it, but you can see that you're really creating value. And this is, no matter how our business model will look like so for sure we have some ideas how how we can have a, a cool dashboard for corporates with special permissions and so on um but this is not what we are developing right now this this might come somewhere in the future but what we are really focusing is is the the, the community and the honest feedback from the community to to solve their problems and they only talk to us if they tried it out and the most valuable feedback is from users, not from people who are interested in it. And so they have to try it out and they have to come to a limitation, which we then can solve because we understand where, where our product is, is lacking some, of, um, some, some features. Yeah. So this is why for my, my personal view completely changed throughout the last year. And uh, I'm, I'm really, really happy. And I don't fear that we, we, we don't earn money in the future. Uh, quite the opposite.
1: What I uh, really like about this is that we were open source from the start, Adam, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of companies uh, embrace the open source movement, but they're so far into their uh, closed source journey that the DNA has been set and it's very hard to transition. And for me, what I really love about it is that we can claim and we can really believe internally that we're open source first, and uh, I don't think that will go away now because it's just built into us. I mean, we are used to um, building out into the open and making open source contributions and supporting the open source community. And I believe that as the team grows, we will only get people who also believe in that. So we have set the DNA in a way that this will this will not go away, and that's, that's really fun.
2: And there's another, another thing to add, sorry. <laughs> um so what what we saw is um that people or companies or let's say users are worried that we at some point in time we completely switch to closed source that's not possible anymore for us so uh we so there will always be whatever is open source right now will always stay open source this is super important for the trust of the of the community towards us Um, that, that we are not now flipping a switch and hide something behind a curtain in a paid offering. Um, yes. And another point, what I really love about open source is sorry, (laughs) sorry to to extend your question. So our team loves to, to work for, for open source, and it's also way cooler to hire for open source companies because everyone uh, can show what's happening in, in their daily uh, business lives to their friends, to other developers. And um, this is like from a personal branding perspective for every individual within the company, very, very valuable um, to be an open source company and not to develop something behind uh, closed
0: doors. So I'm sure our, our listeners are super curious and interested to know like what's coming up in the future. Where is that, that is headed? Um, headed? Uh, perhaps one of you could do, could speak Ooh. to that.
1: So, like, we're at the end of a cycle of, like, a quarterly cycle where we, you know, all the team got together uh, at a lake house and we discussed what we wanted to do and got our vision together. And now, uh, I think yesterday was the point where we said, okay, now we, we, we have, like, gotten there after four sprints. And now the next eventual step, of course, like, the, so it's a clear cut. It's the 10th episode of the podcast. There's a clear... Uh, like demarcation now um, and the next big things that are coming up are going to be discussed in the next retreat but i can give you like a little idea where where i think the team has already uh, reached an understanding of where the product is going in terms of the extensibility so there's like right now ZenML is perceived as still perceived i think as a tool which is sort of like looking like a platform so you have things which are done for you um, across the entire MLOps pipeline, but the goal of XenML is not that. It's actually to flip that and say that, okay, here, here are some standard things that you w- might want to use, but the real power of ZML will come when you take over ownership and extend it, like a framework. So that easy extension of ZML, for example, writing your own orchestration logic or writing your own deployment logic, and making that super simple, that's a big milestone for us. And once once we start seeing the community actually doing that in production and writing their own stuff, I think that's going to be fundamental. Um, and the way we're looking at that is we're making it just easier to do, right? So right now it's open source. its I mean, anybody who knows Python basically can do it, but obviously the abstractions that we presented are, you know, not well documented enough or a bit hard. So a lot of people, I think, get scared of that. But once we make it very easy, I think it'll be it'll be it'll be great to see that. And just secondly, the big thing that we launched—I mean, we haven't really publicized this yet as we record it—but it's the ZenML server, which is essentially the collaboration service of ZenML. So uh, before this point, ZenML was a library-based. piece of software, which was which means that there was no service behind it that tracked anything. So, therefore, the collaborative aspect of XenML was a bit hard. You had to track it through Git and version control and all these YAML files. And what we've done successfully now is we've consolidated everything behind a REST API and behind a database and a service. And that database and service is the XenML server, which allows you to collaborate with ZenML way easier, with your pipelines, with your steps, with your uh, stacks. Um, and that is very fundamental for a team that really wants to use this in production, um, You know, just to have a central point, a central API. So that's going to be obviously also the basis of a managed offering that we might offer, uh, which is somewhere down the line. But essentially, the first point of action in the next quarter probably is to get that server in a in a way that people are using it and collaborating. So not just one data scientist, but many data scientists and ML engineers are collaborating with that.
0: Yeah, that will certainly be really interesting when, when we have users using it, not just as a single person, but a whole team of people exchanging their stacks and their data and so on among them uh, in a kind of a, a useful way. Mm-hmm so it's become a little bit of a tradition that we ask a couple of questions towards the end of the podcast and i thought uh even though you're not our traditional guests we Mm -hmm. might as well ask you ask you them as well because maybe maybe you've you've developed some some thoughts on this recently um uh so the first of the two questions what would be a quick win that someone can add to make their productionizing of models more robust aside from using zml of
1: course (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering whether to say that or not, but I guess <laughs> <laughs> you took that off the table. Um, I think it's, I've I've been preaching a lot about this and I, <laughs> so I'll just say it again, but I believe that the shift from model-centric to data-centric data science is well on its way. And being data-centric for me means in terms of the tooling to to be writing data science code in terms of pipelines. So encapsulating steps and having an abstraction logic that links these steps and orchestrates them together so that you can isolate your environments and configurations and infrastructure. I I believe that's just a mindset shift. It's not not even just about tooling. So when you start thinking in terms of pipelines and uh, inputs and outputs going through pre-processing and training and deployment steps, that's when data scientists can really feel closer to production. And at the end of the day, MLOps is not about taking the data scientist closer to production. It's almost about bringing production closer to the data scientist. So they need to be they need to think in a productionized way or have a mindset of that in order to, in order to really avoid that humongous loop between you know, research and production. And so if you want a quick win yeah, that you want to add to your to your mindset in your organization, let's say your team lead, I think the first thing you should be trying to do is to make the tooling processes and mindset of your production system very similar to your experimentation, tooling, and logic and make the data scientist trained, educated, upon those things from day
0: one. Okay, so that was just like a sneaky way of saying use LML. <laughs> I
1: mean there are other ways to do that. You can just write <laughs> just write better uh, software engineering code as well. Pip installs in a minute. <laughs>
0: And what would be one thing where you think, you know, we're all building tools in this MLOps tooling space or in just the machine learning tooling space? Like is there something you feel that's being neglected
1: by the people building tools at the moment? I think that there's lots of companies addressing lots of different things. And, um, okay, I mean, again, it it might sound like (laughs) Xenoblade, but I mean, there's a reason we're doing this company, right? But I do feel like a lot of tools are built in isolation in silos. And they are not, they are somehow not contextualized in a way of production systems in machine learning right? So, or written in a way that it somehow makes sense to be used. I mean, I can give you an example. There is a library that I'm using right now, for example, which I'm integrating with ZML. And the way they are are loading data in is they're lazily loading it from from a file-based system. And it's very hard to extend that, right? So... If you look at production systems, it's not just if you lazily load data from a fixed way; it's just going to be hard. So it would be rather better to make that entry point configurable for users and other toolmakers to utilize your own tooling logic, right? So just these entry points and exit points of tools—it feels like it's a bit, you know, it would. I think it would make sense for people for toolmakers to take a look at how production systems work, essentially, and take a look at the entry points of those things and the exit points and make a coherent link to them so that it's easier for people to actually use their tools in in more than just research. But maybe that's very uh, bad of me to say it's not an easy job uh, as the production systems are so diverse as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've noticed, I guess, my contribution to this question would be just like the whole Python packaging, story seems to be not quite a great experience right now, but I mean, that's something a bit more fundamental than than the ML space.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, you know, there are
0: improvements. We have poetry now things. There are proposals for changing that and improving that. But
1: yeah. yeah the, our poetry log files takes one hour to resolve. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is an improvement. I <laughs> see.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming on to this uh, mini-sode. And uh, I look forward to our next podcast in 10 or maybe 20 episodes time uh, when we're doing even more. uh, Mm -hmm. And we are are hiring for the next phase of ZenML. So check out our job postings.
1: Black, black, black. (laughs) And (laughs) pip install ZenML. (laughs) See you guys. Have fun. Thank you, Alex. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Pipeline Conversations. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider giving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us get seen by more people. And of course, it's always nice to receive feedback. If you have suggestions for future guests, please send them over to podcast and zenml.io. Thanks. Until next time.